Let me get it straight. Your father was king, you were his only son, your father dies, you were of age, your uncle becomes king. Yes. Unusual. Undid me. Undeniably. He slipped in. Which reminds well, me. Well, it would. I don't want to be personal. Come on. Your mother's marriage. He slipped in. His body was still warm. So was hers. Extraordinary. Indeed. Hasty. Suspicious. Makes you think. Don't think I haven't. And with her husband's brother. They were close. She went to him. Too close. For comfort. Looks bad. Adds up. Incest to adultery. Would you go so far? Never. To sum up. Your father, whom you love, dies. You were his heir. You come back to find that hardly was the corpse cold before his young brother popped onto his throne and into his sheets, thereby offending both legal and natural practice. Now, why exactly are you behaving in this extraordinary manner? I can't imagine. Hello and welcome to the Anglophiles, a show where two Americans talk about British movies and TV. I'm Sheldon. I'm Danny. And I am so sorry to everyone out there that we've been gone so long. You probably thought we were never coming back. You were like, hey, it's Friday. Why isn't there an episode? And then the next week, you probably said the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we've been busy. It's been good. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, like... A lot of people, especially in the United States, are going through right now, major cities are opening back up. So Los Angeles literally just opened back up recently. And so we're trying to get back into that rhythm of seeing people again and making plans. And it's just, it takes a lot of time once you were so used to just being locked in a hole for a whole year. Yeah, it's been interesting. I'm going back to work. I've been back at work for a while now, so... And we celebrated our anniversary, too. We did. We that went um, out to a restaurant for the first time in over a year. Yeah. We went to the movies. Also, for the first time in, in over a year, we'd been, you know, like paying for the rentals on Amazon or Disney Plus and watching new releases that way. Yeah. But, so, um, yeah. It's we, interesting. We got to go out and see a movie. <laughs> it, it felt great. Like, our, our date nights can happen again. <laughs> it was really cute. Um, do you have any British news? I do. Um, it's one, I'm going to apologize in advance because the story is not funny one bit. (laughs) The headline is impeccable. It's the funniest thing. Okay. So this is something that happened in May and they're giving an update on it. Man jailed for karate kicking fisherman 74 into River Mersey. (laughs) What now? A man karate kicked... I missed the karate part. Man jailed for karate kicking fisherman, 74, into River Mersey. So a a man karate kicked... So a 19-year-old kicked a 74-year-old that was just fishing. Karate kicked. Karate kicked him. Just full-on kicked a 74-year-old guy into the river. Wow. And uh, apparently, yeah, there are other, like, young people filming, and they, like, ran off. And they have since been caught. The 19-year-old is in jail, and the 16-year-old is in trouble. Wow. Um, But luckily, um, for the old man, there were um, two young ladies, um, these schoolgirls, who came and, like, pulled him out of the water and, and, like, walked him home to make sure he was okay. Wow. So, like, the, the guy is fine now. Apparently, it was a harrowing experience. Like, you don't expect to be near drowning while you're Karate fishing. Karate kicked into a river when you're 75. Yeah. Wow. But uh, but yeah, he, he seems to be doing okay. Um, 
they could have honestly killed him. And this was in England? Yeah, this is in England. It was uh, a month ago, but they just now jailed him. Wow. Well, that is quite a headline. Yeah, and wild. And a story. Um, my news is not something that I... I don't have the article here in front of me. It's just kind of something that I'll be able to tell you the basic concept of. Ooh, okay. Um, I should have written it down, <laughs> but I didn't. Um... It's We've just, been gone too long. We're not working right. We're, we're not in our stride. This is going to be a weird episode. But um, no, I just saw something recently about, I think it was the um, British Board of Film Classification um, and also okay. the British government and the BBC. I guess they're they're having trouble with streaming services like yes. Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus because... Um, like Channel 4 and like the BBC, like everything in England that airs on television is um, regulated. Yeah. And there is no regulation when it comes to the streaming services. So I guess they're kind of like trying to find how they're going to regulate the content and if they can regulate the content and like mm-hmm. what they can do versus what people want to do. It sounds like a mess, but um, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is it is interesting where we're in a new era where it feels like at this point there's so many streaming services that it is back in the era of cable packages. You're just picking out what you want to consume again. Um, we're right where we were 15 years ago. But now it's more complicated because... Now, rather than like the BBC being able to own its own programming and be able to show it when and where they want, they still kind of can, but they no longer like are able to control, like you said, the there's so much more in rights that like Netflix and Amazon have than cable companies used to have. Mm. It's interesting. Like, and it's just, it's a lot of American companies pushing their weight around. So that makes it even harder for like a foreign distributor or like a foreign company like the BBC where genuine or generally they didn't have to bother with something like this yeah and now it is a sticky situation Hmm. interesting well we'll see how it goes yeah (laughs) well i have a couple emails to read Ooh. okay um so this first one is from matt evans and he says hi danny love the show you and sheldon were speaking about doing some other shows interspersed with newer ones and i had to put forward my favorite benedictine monk cadfell I saw this article on Decider and wanted to put forward his shows again. Take a look. Thanks and have fun. Matt Evans. Um, We've actually had Cadafel... Recommended before? Recommended a couple of times by people. Remember, it's this guy. It's like medieval law and order. (gasps) That's right. Yeah. And it's got... What's his name? Um, Yeah, that actor. Derek Jacoby? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Love that man. Yeah. So, Cadfell is something that we really do need to um, to watch. So, thank you, Matt Evans, for the reminder. Um, I will read this article. Um, and then we also have another email from Bethany. And it is called Podcast Suggestions. Ooh, okay. Bethany says, Hi, I've just discovered the podcast and have loved getting your perspective on some of my faves like Taskmaster and Would I Lie to You? Ah. You can thank Sheldon for those um, because I love them. But but yeah, you probably wouldn't have watched Those it. are your jam. I love a good um, panel show. She says, I'm really into sitcoms, so I have a few recommendations in that area that you may want to check out if you haven't already. For lighthearted fun, I love Miranda. Friday Night Dinner. Yes, yes, the Miranda, trip, yes. Outnumbered in this country. If you wanted to try some of the darker comedies, Will Sharp's Flowers is great, um, which I... I was going to say I've heard of that. Well, I watched it, and you were really weirded out by it. (laughs) 
I loved it. Um, uh, what else did she say? Oh, also, Inside Number Nine is a favorite of mine. Inside Number Nine is a cult anthology show. Whoa. So each episode is different. Their only links being that they all star uh, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, and all the episodes take place behind a door labeled Nine. Reese and Steve are brilliant writers, and the show features guest appearances from some of the greatest acting talents in the UK. Hey. Also, I was wondering if you guys had seen the lineup for season 12 of Taskmaster. Yes. Because I know you love Alan Davies and said in Taskmaster episode that you'd love to see David Mitchell or his wife, Victoria. I'm so gassed about yeah. her being cast. Best yep. wishes, Beth. The Yeah, I'm so excited for both of them to be on it. Like, I'm bummed that they're doing the filming setup again, it looks like, where they have to be six feet apart. Mm -hmm. So, like, I, I like when their chairs are together and they can kind of, like, elbow each other. But yeah. those two, I cannot wait to see, like, wow. I think Alan is one of, like, the smartest dumb people. And Claudia <laughs> is just, like, one of the smartest smart people. So, wow. like, it's going to be so great watching them do tasks. Yeah. Um, speaking of Taskmaster... If you're in the LA area, um, <laughs> keep an eye out. I will be tweeting about this. Uh, my Twitter account is at ShellDumb. It's like my name, but dumb. Um, I'll be tweeting about this in July, but I am doing a live version of Taskmaster where I myself am doing some tasks. Um, one of my comedian friends, it's his birthday, and this is what he's asked several of us to do, and I feel so lucky. Um, honestly, some of these things are maybe the funniest things I've ever done. I've seen like, you film a couple of the tasks and they were very funny. I'm really proud of it. Um, <laughs> it's insane. Uh, but I got to, I got to fulfill like my dream of being the person who is like wearing a costume, being the person like I'm wearing something. You're like the Noel Fielding. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of people that do it, but that's the one that I, I aim to be <laughs> because uh, I think some people wear a costume and get ridiculed for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I easily could fall into that camp, <laughs> but hopefully not. That's exciting. Um, well, do you want to talk about our topic? I would love to. This is a movie, um, a British movie uh, with British stars. About a Danish play. So really, this is a podcast about a movie about a play within a play. Within a play. Within a play. And it's not about the main actors in that play. It's about the side actors in that play written by a different playwright. It's a mess. It's a brilliant mess. We're, we're talking about the 1990 um, film version of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes. Which, it, when I was in high school, I had the play. It was a, a like a book, but yeah. it was basically the play, because I think it started out as a play. Yes. It, and then it got made into a movie. Yeah. So it won the Tony Award in 1967 when it came out. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Yeah. Massive hit. Wow. And, um, okay. It, like, <clears throat> it took Tom Stoppard from being a nobody to, like, superstardom overnight. Wow. It, and he is a British playwright? A, yeah, and it's his first, like, really big published play. Like, I think he's had a couple other small things published before, but this was, like, his first and his biggest. And really, he didn't do anything else that lived up to this, just because it is really hard whenever you write something so heady like this yeah. to live up to that. Like, the dialogue that he uses is so clever and, like... Yeah. But he is also the one who directed the movie. Mm. So like whenever this movie came out 23 years later, he's the one who ended up directing it. Gotcha. Um, that wasn't always going to be the case. I'll tell you about that oh, later yeah. in the episode. A little sneak. I've got a lot so, of fun facts. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is a 
Um, it's basically the story of uh, what Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, two characters from Hamlet. Yeah. They're basically Hamlet's friends. They're like were, his college buddies. They, yeah, they like grew up together, and so they're yeah. friends. And it's and they're side characters that kind of At like best. Like, yeah, because major side characters. They're not even in like if you've seen the Laurence Olivier Hamlet, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern aren't in it. Really? Yeah, they're just yeah. like you hear off screen that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yeah. are dead, but they're like very vague, and yeah. then they die off screen. So like they they really aren't there, but they're an interesting. I mean, they are interesting. So and it is that um, it is a great concept of you know like we see what's presented to us a play. And um, whenever I was taking a lot of acting classes, my acting teacher would always tell us what you're seeing like on stage. That is the most important thing in this entire like character's life. They're telling you this story. Mm-hmm. So the idea of side characters in that story like this is the most important story and for them they're in it for like seconds what happens when they're not there Mm, like what do these side characters know or care about the rest of the plot (laughs) and i think just like those ideas lend you to a lot yeah and then it opens it up to a very heady discussion of death and the world and existence and physics yeah, <laughs> which is something that's like Tom adds a lot for the movie that is not in the play, and all the physics stuff I don't believe at all is in the play. Okay, like the juggling and everything. Um, I think it's fun, and yeah. it's, especially because Gary Oldman's great. But so I will say, um, I watched this when I was much younger. When I was getting really into Shakespeare, I was always very into Shakespeare. But when I started to really like go out of my way to watch movies. Um, that were based on his plays. And then I found out about this and I watched it. And when I was much younger, this movie was a little harder to keep up with just because Mm. it is so dialogue heavy and it's very existential, very abstract. And so when I was younger, it was hard for me to really like get what they were talking about all the time. But I enjoyed it because I loved... The performances of Tim Roth and Gary Oldman. Yeah. Um, because I mean, because they're phenomenal. When I was a teenage girl, I thought they were both very cute. <laughs> um, but that aside, I also really um, enjoyed their physical acting. <laughs> yeah. Especially Gary Oldman. So. I mean, yeah, they're they're great. Two little comedic clowns. Um, I'm sure a lot of people out there are listening and already know what I'm going to say, but this was not a very critically well received movie. Hmm. Mostly due to the fact that at the time, like, movies aren't as commonplace as they are now and people wouldn't go out and see dozens of movies a year and are watching, like, consuming eight or nine different TV shows all at the same time. Like, it was plays and movies. That was how you got entertainment. And so even if you're a movie critic, you see all the plays, all the big ones. You're going to Broadway to see them. Yeah. And so, like, all the big critics had already seen the play Mm. and were just annoyed that they're like, it wasn't as good as the play. Where it's like... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, almost always, like, movie versions of a play aren't as good. Like, Cats. I can't... I mean, I, I would... Almost <laughs> everything. I think even In the Heights just now came out not as good as the play. Like, I think you could say that with, like, almost anything. Yeah. Where you're like, it's... Plays are meant to be on stage because there's something about the live theater aspect that, like, you're writing directly for an audience that's right there, heady stuff that you want to give to people who can't escape, who can't look down at their phones like we can. But early on, like, a lot of people didn't love this. They didn't think it added anything. 
And like you said, it's very wordy. It's very dialogue heavy. And so a lot of people were just bored that they're like, why did you make this into a movie? You didn't add anything to it. You directed it and just made it the same as if it would be on a play. Yeah. And then just added a few visual gags. Yeah. And then some people didn't like Gary Oldman and Tim Roth, which I think is obscene because (laughs) they're phenomenal. They're really good. But they're definitely doing something... They, their characters are both very specific in this. Yeah. Like, they both kind of have this, um, I don't know, Gary Oldman's kind of like the fool, Tim Roth is kind of like... They both have an aloofness to them, but in different ways, mm-hmm. where I think Tim Roth is very stubborn in a lot of it, like, doesn't want to believe what's happening, Yeah. and then Gary Oldman doesn't want to think about what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And then the things he does want to think about, he can't convey the thoughts... <laughs> or physics just won't work for him uh i do also think that their um i don't want to say chemistry because i don't think that's the word for it but the way that they play off of each other yeah no i think it's chemistry yeah they have really good comedic chemistry very good they're great together and i think it's very important that these are supposed to be like a best friend character type that everyone keeps getting their names confused so they should feel very similar yeah almost like it's their brothers in a way yeah um, well, let's talk about the cast a little bit. Um, yeah. So it stars um, Tim Roth and Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, famous for being, what, like one of the greatest character actors of all time? <laughs> he looks different. He looks so drastically different in every movie he's ever been in. Yeah. Um, and this is fairly early on in his career, too, like where I think both he and Tim Roth became known for playing a lot of villains in the 90s. Mm. This was kind of before both of them were cemented into that. So it's nice to see them as young, hot, normal people <laughs> before yeah. they had to wear a lot of crazy outfits. Yeah. They're but, really um, good. Um, but yeah, so Gary Oldman plays Rosencrantz and Tim Roth plays Guildenstern. And you can only really tell this... Um, they're like a couple of times where like they respond and you can tell who is who, mm-hmm. but it's like almost always they are even confusing themselves. Um, and then, yeah, who else? So who else do we have? Richard Dreyfus. Oh, as the player. Yeah. The, um, He's kind of leading this band, like a troop of actors. Yeah. Um, this, Once, it's the troop of actors that arrive um, to, is it Elsinore? Yes. Is the castle mm-hmm. in Hamlet? And, um, yeah, they're the ones that perform the play for the king and queen. Mm-hmm. That is the a play within the play. huge part of Hamlet. So um, it's interesting to kind of see them as well have this whole interaction with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern before they even make it to the castle. And um, that's really interesting. Um, Hamlet is also in this, played by... Played by Ian Glenn. Ian Glenn. Wow, fa- from, well, he's famous for a lot of things. But, but more recently famous for Game of Thrones. Um, Jorah. Sir Jorah Mormont. Yeah. He's so young in this. Yeah. Like, very thin. His face looks so thin. Like, and he his really. His voice is higher. Yeah, he aged into his look. Um, Ophelia is played by Joanna Roth, um, who has had a, a pretty good career as well. Um, and then Donald Sumter plays Claudius. Mm. And he is, like, wearing the hell out of that mustache. He's in a lot of stuff. Right? He's in a lot. He's like oh a really my god! Big like British... also Game of Thrones, uh, mentioning him, but yeah. um, he. I mean, yeah, he's done everything. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He was in the Heart of the Sea, The Constant Gardener, like um, Eastern Promises, the mm. Vigo movie. Yep. Um, and then Gertrude is played by a woman named Joanna Miles, who is somebody that like you may not know the name, but she has been in 
everything. Yeah. Um, she, wo- she won an Emmy, but she's also been in things f- ranging from Judge Dredd to The Glass Menagerie to Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay. Like, the woman has been in everything. Gotcha. So it's got, I mean, it doesn't have a huge cast. There's a lot of extras. Um, yeah. A lot of the players, a lot of the actors um, in the troupe don't necessarily have, uh, like, character names. And then there's a lot of people running around the castle that are never referred to. Yeah. So um, it's Which not is a huge cast, but it, it is really good. Um, what else? I mean, so what, what do you think, like... We briefly mention what the play or what the movie is about. The play is about, and it's them between the scenes of Hamlet. So we're we are seeing, and honestly, the scenes where we actually see Hamlet is when I feel like it slows down. Mm-hmm. Like whenever they're acknowledging the Shakespeare and showing us, yeah. like oh yeah, these are those scenes. Like it really depends on you knowing Hamlet well enough and enjoying it enough to be like, sure, I'll watch these actors like rehearse for a play that we already know that the play is supposed to be that <laughs> thing in this play that'll get them to like, it, it's so, it's kinda... so far breaking the fourth wall that I'm like, y- you have to love Hamlet to care. Yeah. And I think that those parts where I was like, all right, Let's get back to it. The fun is in these two guys existentially asking questions and trying to figure out what is our purpose? What is our place in this? Who are we both in this world and in this play, this movie, which they it's it's so interesting what they may or may not be aware of. Yeah, Uh, I do. I mean, I really like the scenes where they are kind of overhearing the conversations that do happen in Hamlet, conversations between Claudius and Polonius. And, like, I also love the moment when um, Hamlet stabs Polonius through the curtain. Yeah. And you see Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Just hiding. Uh, they're, yeah, they're on either sides of the, the curtain and they're hiding. And so Hamlet, like, lifts it up and pff, grabs Polonius. But, like, I, I think that's really interesting. Because you, you do feel like you're behind, you're backstage kind of peeking out onto the stage while the play is happening out there. It's really interesting. But then I think it, it just gets to the point where... For me, then I wonder a lot of like, what is this about? I am just like them and being like, why are we seeing (laughs) these specific scenes? Like you're showing us very clearly only a couple of scenes from Hamlet. Why are you deeming these the important scenes? I think I know why. And why is that? Because I think you, so you, you in Hamlet, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they show up. They're given orders by Claudius. Yeah. Take Hamlet to England. I'm going to have him beheaded and uh, go do that. And then they go and then they, they die and off. Instead, stage. they and are. And I the kind ones of feel like this movie was a bit of trying to explore their motivations for doing that to their best friend. Not to say that it was setting up a way in which they deserved their death, but a way in which they earned it. If that makes any sense, you know, because I guess I don't. They didn't know the contents of the letter, right? But they, I mean, they get a little peek at it later, way like way at the last minute. Yeah, which is what causes Hamlet to um, abandon them and yes. leave them to their death. But I kind of feel like in that moment, Rosencrantz kind of asks Guildenstern, like, 
but isn't it terrible to do that to our friend? And then Gildenstern goes through that whole thing of like, you know, we're cogs in a wheel, you know, it's not really up to us. We kind of just need to do what we've been told to do. And so I kind of feel like some of the scenes that they are seeing from Hamlet that they're watching is kind of like informing their decisions a little bit. Hmm. Does that make sense? It's hard. I think, I mean, I understand the idea of what you're saying. I don't, I cannot place, even right now, I can't tell you the specific scenes they chose. Like, there were a couple, like, you had the the stabbing, but, like, we don't need to see the players rehearsing a scene. You know, like, I think there's just, there's too much reinforcing that, like, hey, this is Hamlet. Remember, this is Hamlet. Hamlet is still happening behind them, where I think there's a lot more interesting ideas he's bringing to the table that every time they drag us back and remind us of the Hamlet main plot line, it is too much of thinking like, oh, like like you're saying, if it is about them coming to terms of what they're doing to their best friend, then like the whole movie is not even about them. It's about Hamlet still. And like, I don't want the movie to be about Hamlet. I want it to be about them. Yeah. And so like making it... You know nothing about them. And that's what I'm saying. I want to know more about them. And the whole idea of their two conversations is they don't know anything about themselves either or each other. They genuinely have... They cannot remember their first memory. That like the concept of nothingness of who you are in the world, like so many of those concepts are big and bold and interesting. Yeah. And more interesting, I think, than how could we do this to our friend that like, I don't care about that. Like I care about them trying to figure out why did I flip a coin 79 times in a row and it came up heads. Yeah. And then the player later on telling them that's actually pretty decent odds. Like if life is like that, life is way crazier. If life was a bet, you wouldn't gamble on it. Like there, there's so, so many themes early on. Aside from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, there is a whole other um, aspect of the whole movie that is uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff he's saying, like, I would like to kind of, like, maybe read the play again. Because I think I, I tried reading it when I was, like, 17. And I was just like, this is a lot. Um, but I think I would like to try reading it again and really take it in and try to like think about the things that he's saying because I think there's a lot of um, really thought-provoking stuff that he's delving into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like what I was literally just saying, like he is talking about how life is so random, like the idea of luck, the idea of them trying to put luck into a coin flip, trying to discern why is this one small thing happening the same way again and again? And he is bringing up life is so much bigger and crazier and more unpredictable than you can imagine. Like taking a bet on it happening 79 times in a row, something that there's a 50% chance it'll happen every time. Yeah, that's pretty good odds. And then they literally go from him telling them that to being physically teleported through time and space and waking up in a building. Like... The stuff in the beginning, like 15 minutes of the movie, are so bold and big. And then it gets just kind of, I don't know. Hmm. Like, I think it's I think it's good. I think the story writing, like, the play itself is great. Watching a movie of a play of a play is tough. Like, I feel like it just didn't click all the way. Like, I like it. It's great. And I completely agree with you. I think there are a lot of huge thought-provoking themes here. 
And I think that maybe just adapting it to a movie does a disservice in being able to delve into all of them. Did you like when Rosencrantz made a Big Mac? Yes. <laughs> Did you like when he made a car noise? <laughs> We're coming at this movie from very different angles, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I kind of like the the weird, like, anachronistic uh, moments <laughs> that yeah. uh, that Rosencrantz has. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because he's, like, dumb, but he's also, like, in a way if you think about it, more modern <laughs> in that way. That he's making, like, the car noise when he's making all the animals and then he makes a Big Mac hamburger when they're, like, camping out. It's and that's why there's there's a lot of it. Um, that's one of the things people pointed out they did not love uh, from the adaptation. Um, because it is a thing that Tom Stod- Stoppard plays around with, especially in, like, the play. As far as I remember, like, he he points out that there should be like jumps in time and space that the audience should be confused. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern should be confused, but like he doesn't bring modern stuff into it. Like it stays in Shakespearean times. Um, And I think I told you like my off the wall theory watching this is like, I think the only thing that would explain why he would want to adapt it from a play to a movie is to try a slightly different angle. And I don't know if I'm just picking up on a lot that's not there, but I think that it's representative of they've been dead the whole time. Like that the play starts with them literally having just died or the movie starts with them having just died and they're trying to come to terms with it and understand what's happening. And then they're reliving the moments of the past until they get to their death again. When you said that at first, when we were watching it, I didn't really get what you were saying and I disagreed because I was like, no, they're still at the castle. They die at sea, Sheldon. Yeah. But w- once we got towards the end, I kind of got what you were saying. It was almost like they're dead. They're in the afterlife. And right now, they are retracing their last steps. Yeah. Trying to figure out what happened. So I kind of got that. There's so much that you feel like it's either he's writing that characters in a story only exist when they're in the story. And when they're not in the story their existence is null and void, which is kind of something he's playing with. Like they're struggling to keep in like certain scenes. And if they don't keep up with somebody, that person's in a different room, you know, or they like end up going in a circle because they're not meant to be in the scene. So it, it feels more to me like two people who may have just died, who are not like, you don't have a memory of everything that happened. You only have a memory of where you were and what you saw. Yeah. And they're trying to piece together who they are, have no idea their own names, they don't know, like, they can't remember anything. Yeah. And whenever, like, the very first people they see, the first thing, like, Tim Roth says to the players whenever they he sees what they are, he's like, oh, well, this is it then. Like, this is obscene. I thought it was going to be, and he kind of, like, pauses as if he's going to be like, I thought it was going to be, you know, like, more grand, like a more yeah. heaven type thing. But then he talks about the play instead. I don't know. And there's just... All of the talks about, do you ever feel like you're inside of a box, you're already dead, inside of a box, waiting for somebody to knock on the lid and to let you out, and then there's a knock because they were inside a box, like, Um, there's so much fourth wall. I also, I do think that this movie is, like, it has, like, a dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. With the, the sound design and then the way that 
you know how like in dreams it'll be a collection of scenes like you won't like live out 10 hours of something you'll live out like a bunch of scenes yeah and you won't completely know like how did they get here <laughs> I, I guess we just how follow did they it get here i don't know but i'm not questioning it yeah it has like kind of a dreamlike quality to it in that way the, that i think is really cool yeah and like the super famous scene from this play is like the questions mm. whenever they're going back and forth with questions and in this he turns it into like a tennis scene where they're literally like serving them back and forth getting points and that's one of those things where you're like why is there a tennis court and then you like start thinking too much about it by being like when was tennis invented was it around back then probably I don't... but like and then you think about it and you're like wait no it definitely wasn't that can't be that old but and then badminton was around but i don't know is badminton divided like a tennis court I don't like, know. Like, I know it's got a net, but I think the net is higher, and I don't think it's divided well, into what is quadrants. the game that they're playing in the Disney animated Robin Hood? Because they're playing... Tennis. Is it... They're not or, playing tennis. No, they have I, a shuttlecock. Um, no, that's badminton, then. Yeah. Interesting. No, I mean, I I genuinely don't know. Um, but <laughs> it there there's enough in there where you're just like, what? This is weird. And then you just don't think about it, like you're saying. It does feel very dreamlike in that way. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's it's quite a watch. It's quite, it's very interesting. I think Tom is a phenomenal writer. I don't think he's the greatest director, but it is definitely like worth watching if you like heady concepts and if you love Hamlet, you got to see this. And if you like the actors, I mean, come on. They're really good. I don't know why I'm giving like this pitch <laughs> halfway through the episode. Like usually these are at the end, but Um, well Sheldon, would you like to move on to a new topic? Bar. Uh, it's time for tea time. Okay, welcome to tea time. This is the part of the podcast where we have a cup of tea and try a British food. Yes, just like in Hamlet, where there is a play within a play, this is a podcast within a podcast. Um, a topic within a topic. Yes. And that is the bar that we're trying today. It is a topic bar. A topic bar. Um, and so it is milk chocolate, hazelnut, soft nougat, and smooth caramel center. Interesting. And so I love the packaging. It, I, this is great where it's like the topic, but then they've got a little hazelnut in the O as the dot. I think that's cute. It's cute. Um, it looks like a Snickers bar. Like it looks yeah. almost exactly like a Snickers bar. And I guess the Like the ribbons on top. Are, yeah. And just the, the exact shape of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess it's similar to a Snickers bar, except I mean, yeah. it's hazelnuts instead of instead peanuts. Instead yeah. So I'm interested to try it. Okay. Okay. I liked it a yeah. lot. <laughs> it does taste very similar to a Snickers bar um, because of the chocolate, the nougat, the caramel, and the nuts. Um but the the thing about a Snickers bar is the peanuts are a little salty, which adds a little salt into the candy bar. This is very, very sweet. But I'm never going to complain about getting hazelnuts instead of peanuts. I love it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I, I think visually it looks like a Snickers, maybe like when you break it open. But that's where I think the similarities well, end. Like, I don't think... The chocolate and the caramel are both much higher quality than that in a Snickers bar. Yeah, but but I mean, that's what I mean. Like, the chocolate's different. The, like, 
the caramel, there's even a, a different quantity. Like I think there's more caramel in a Snickers than in this. This is just a little bit and this has more nougat. So I like the whole texture and flavors, everything felt different to me, but like- I like this. I like it a lot. It's lighter. I think a Snickers sometimes can feel heavy. We're like, I don't want to finish a whole Snickers bar, like a giant one. It's just it's so dense. But yeah. I think there's more nougat here and it feels lighter. Mm. And I, you are absolutely right on the hazelnuts. Like I would never complain about them being in something that that is great. Hazelnuts are great. Hazelnuts rather than like um, peanuts there or rather than almonds. Yuck. Don't put almonds in chocolate. Keep them out. Put <laughs> hazelnuts in there. Put hazelnuts in everything. Stop growing <laughs> almonds. They're so bad for the environment. Oh, they, almonds use so much water, Ugh, right? I live in, we live in California, and it's like the one crop that's just like, we are in a desert state. Why are we growing something that requires this many gallons of water? Yeah. Um, so I am reading that the Topic Bar was first introduced in the UK in 1962. Oh, okay. And it was advertised with the line, a hazelnut in every bite. Hey, yeah, you definitely like, taste it. I like, like that. The aftertaste, I'm still getting like hazelnut flavors right now. It's really good. So I think it's nice that like this is something that was invented in the 60s and can still be enjoyed today, much like like our the thing that we're reviewing, like a play that was invented in the 60s and, uh, and then got modernized. It says that in uh, 2002, it was promoted in a series of radio advertisements with the strap line. I don't know what a strap line is. Probably tagline. A joy to eat, but a bitch to make. <laughs> the adverts oh. featured actors Simon Pegg and Mark Heap, who both appeared in the cult British TV comedy space. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Oh, and they used to be in boxes of celebrations. Oh. Until 2006. And then this and Twix were removed. Although Twix has now been put back into celebrations. Mm. Speaking of spaced, we've got a, we have to we... review Last Night in Soho when it comes out. Oh, yeah. Edgar Wright. The trailer looks so good. It does look good. I hope oh, it's good. It, it has Anya Taylor Joy. Who is, is she this generation's Meryl Streep? I mean. <laughs> Is it insane to say it that early on? Like she's very talented, and she's only going to go further. Well, are you ready to get back to our other topic? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now that I've had one topic, let's have a different one. Let's get back onto Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Are there any uh, memorable moments? What were your favorite moments from this? I mean, I love, like I mentioned, I love the tennis, the famous question scene. I love the opening scene. Um, I mean. Whenever I was growing up, I did speech and debate in high school or forensics, as some people out there might know, and you do competitive acting, essentially. Like one side of it is debate, but the other side is like competitive acting. Um, And one thing that I always did was duets. And so it would be two people doing a comedic or dramatic scene. And people would always choose something from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because Young high school kids thinking that they know a lot about life is just very fun. Um, but a lot of people would do either questions or the opening scene where it's like the flipping of the coin and the discussion of life and death. Um, and so I really loved seeing both of those done by better performers than high school students. Yeah. Um, and so those two scenes I really loved. I like the whole third act on the boat, um, except for the weird bit where like, did you see the the clear cut whenever they're um, somebody stabs in and uh, what's his face is sleeping like Rosencrantz is sleeping and oh. Gary Oldman sits up and the sword like pokes through but there's a really weird cut where you can tell they like splice two yeah. videos together 
Um, that happened a couple times in this movie. I, yeah. I, I, I knew that a cut was going to happen, and then I saw the cut. Yeah. Um, it was it's just rookie it was, director stuff. It was when uh, Gary Oldman's... It was when uh, he makes that plane. He makes like a really futuristic yeah. plane out of paper, and he, mm-hmm. he's trying to show it to Gildenstern, and Gildenstern takes it and crumples it up and throws it on the ground. And then Gary Oldman bends over to pick it up, and I was like... Who knows what that looked like after he crumpled it up? I bet they had like a pre-made crumpled one. Yeah. And I watched and like I saw the cut happen. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I love I love like the the whole time that they're meeting the the troop of actors. Yeah. That whole sequence, honestly, is so good. Honestly, we've been talking about like Tim Roth and Gary Oldman this whole <laughs> we time. We gotta talk about Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss steals every scene he's in. He is by far the best actor in the whole what movie. A- he is so good. Charismatic man. What a ham. <laughs> He's so good. And like, <sighs> he is pulling off the gray hair and beard in yeah. here. He's pulling off the floppy hat with the feather. Like, I totally buy him as this weird um, purveyor of like entertainment. And, yeah. and there's kind of this idea that they used to be these lofty entertainers, these like professional actors, and they've now fallen on hard times and they have to perform like the lewd stuff in order that's to... That's all everyone wants. That's that's the only way they or can get Or at least that he thinks. But then the, it's like everything he's saying is so meta because you know like he's talking about like a good play can't end without like death. And then you know Hamlet of course ends with the most death. Like yeah. everyone's dead at the end. So like so much of what he is saying is so tongue in cheek and fourth wall breaking and a little like nudge nudge hint hint um because obviously like rosencrantz and gildenstern aren't breaking the fourth wall that much it's being broken on them yeah and so it is fun watching like the player seems like an audience surrogate in a lot of ways where he's making jokes for us i do also love the scene in the castle when they are the actors are playing they have the masks on. Yeah. And they're playing the king and queen watching the play that they perform, but it's done by puppets. Yeah. I don't know why. That whole thing is so... So meta. It's so strange, but it's beautifully done. The puppets look good and the masks that they're wearing and the acting that they're doing through the masks is yeah. really good. Somehow really emotive. I really love that scene a lot. It's, yeah. It's good. That was a really... Yeah, that was a surprisingly good scene. I liked it. <laughs> It's okay. good, though. Do you want to know some fun facts about this yes, movie? Yes, like, tell me. I've got a bunch, um, especially involving the casting of it. So, um, like we mentioned, um, Gary Oldman is uh, Rosencrantz. Yes. And Tim Roth plays Guildenstern. Yes. And they make jokes about it, like, throughout the whole movie. Like, everyone's getting them wrong. Even they mix their names up. Originally, they were cast in, in the other roles. Interesting. And, that, and then it got switched. I think it's kind of perfect to have Tim Roth in the annoyed, I'm annoyed at you, I want to kill you right now because you're being so stupid role. (laughs) He was really good at being annoyed with Gary Oldman's fool character. So I think the casting was great. Um, Yeah, and even funnier, they were not the original, like, this wasn't the first time this movie has tried to been, the, the movie got tried to be made several times. Right whenever it came out and won a Tony Award, MGM immediately bought the rights to it for $200,000. Wow. And they planned for uh, a man named John Borman to direct, who is like a good friend of Tom Stoppard. Like he insisted somebody has to have the kind of like a reverence for the source material to direct it. Like you can't love Hamlet 
and direct this. You have to be able, be willing to like give the middle finger to Hamlet in a way that like you understand the material. But, um, so John Borman originally planned, so this would have been the early seventies. Um, he planned for Michael Caine and Terrence Stamp to play the leads. Lawrence Olivier was going to be the player king. Albert Finney as Claudius and Maggie Smith as Gertrude. Wow. And there were also talks, apparently at the time, um, Michael Caine and Terrence Stamp weren't like solidified. And so other names that were being thrown around were Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould. Interesting. But apparently MGM never greenlit it. So it got shelved and then um, came back years later. And then um, when it, whenever it came back the second time, it was going to star Sean Connery. Whoa. And um, Sting apparently had a role. <laughs> they they don't know it's confirmed if he was going to be the player king or if he was going to be Claudius or something, but Sting was supposed to have a side role and Sean Honestly, Connery... I could see Sting in the Richard Dreyfuss uh, role. Yeah. Because he's got charisma and he's got flamboyance. Yep. I don't Which know I think... that he would have been able to deliver all of that material the way Richard Dreyfus did. Yeah. But uh you'd look you'd watch him. Yeah. Interesting. And then um Sean Connery got sick and um and then so they had to put the film on hold. And then whenever they picked it back up again, the studio had kind of readjusted budgets and Sean Connery didn't like how he was blossoming into like a huge film star yeah, and, or he already was. Um, and he was like, I want a bigger paycheck and Tom Stoppard couldn't give it to him. Yeah. And so he left and instead did the hunt for red October, which I think was a good choice on his part. Yeah. Um, but then that's where these two guys came in. Interesting. Um, which is so funny that it's like, you see it and you think, yeah, they're almost born to play this role. (laughs) And it's like, no, they were the third or fourth choices. That's really interesting. Um, what's also interesting, uh, this is like very, I I think we like to point out when people are on Game of Thrones and, um, we, we've also done our Harry Potter episode and famously we know that, um, Gary Oldman plays, uh, Sirius Black in Harry Potter. Two different people from the Harry Potter series have also played Rosencrantz on stage. Oh, who? Oh, wait. So you know what? Daniel Daniel Radcliffe. Radcliffe. Yeah. And so who else do you think from the Harry Potter series? It is an adult. It wasn't one of the children. So think of one of the other adults in the Harry Potter series. Kenneth Branagh. No, but ooh, he would be great. Uh, um, Arthur Weasley. No, it's Timothy Spall, oh, actually. Oh, Timothy Spall but would can't be you, so good in right? Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead. Yeah, he would. I wish I would get to see that. Like that, I, I imagine he would have been very great then. Timothy Spall would just be amazing to watch on stage. Right, I think he probably just feels like such Underrated a good stage actor. Underrated actor. Yeah. Um, there, uh, I've mentioned that this is the only film directed by Tom Stoppard, and I also mentioned that this did not get... Um, great critical reviews and there is a weird rumor that Roger Ebert gave it zero stars (gasps) because like so Ebert and Roper wasn't a thing anymore and he was just doing Ebert on his own like Roger Ebert yeah and um, at the time most like he he was mainly doing like a five star system and would give things stars yeah but 
at the time his column was instead doing thumbs up or thumbs down. And he would give it, you know, one thumb up, two thumbs up, one thumb down or two thumbs down. And he gave this one thumb down. Wow. Uh, wow. Just because he was one of the elitists that really liked the play and thought, one, this was a little boring, and two, it didn't add anything. And then he also didn't like the leads, which... Okay, I was... Yeah. When you said that, that Roger Ebert thought it so poorly of it, I was like, how? Because the writing is really good, and so now that you're saying that it was basically it's, the staging and the cast that he didn't like. Yeah, That's, and it's like, so he only gave it one thumb down instead of two, where it was just like average to him yeah. um but there is a lot of the, a rumor that he hated it so much he gave it zero stars and it's like no it's just people aren't like he didn't give it any stars you're correct because he gave it a thumb like he didn't <laughs> and even then it's a thumbs down so like yeah. he didn't like it but just people get it uh, misconstrued interesting. um there's also a, an interesting weird thing that I, I fully don't understand but the opening song in the movie is uh pink floyd Seamus. yes and the version in, included in this movie is an instrumental version. Mm. The album version has vocals. So, like, that is ju- made just for this. That's quite a choice. And even more of a choice, during the theater company's performance of Hamlet, like, whenever they're doing the Hamlet in masks, yes. like you were saying, there's a sound bit from Pink Floyd's Echoes that can be heard. Weird. The sound of the rapier sword hitting is the first note from the song Echoes. Oh, weird. That's so bizarre to me that's very interesting yeah yeah wow i wonder why i have no clue like yeah it it's bonkers though it's fair like pink floyd really was doing like very interesting stuff with sounds yeah in a way that was very um really caught a lot of people yeah uh wow interesting it's wild yeah and there's um I mean, there's a couple of other small things, but like mainly that's, those are some of like the big interesting pieces of trivia. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the, the name of this play, Rosencrantz or Guildenstern are dead, is a direct line from Hamlet. Yes. Um, whenever the ambassador comes back and enters like the Danish court and sees all of the, the Danes are lying there dead on the ground. And he says, um, you know, tell the king his commandment is fulfilled that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Wow. Um, and that's where it comes from. Interesting. Well, well, very, uh, informative. Fascinating. I mean, is there anything else about this movie that you want to talk about, want to bring up? Like, I know, like, the movie itself is huge, but, um, like, what, what we've been talking about, I mean, the concepts behind the movie, like, there's, there's so much here, you know, like. So I do have something to mention. Yeah. And it is that I once saw a movie. I want to say I saw it after I saw Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. But there is a movie called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are undead. In which two actors who are playing Rosencrantz. They're actually. It's. They're playing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in a community production of Hamlet. And they have to fight vampires. Gotcha. And uh, it's interesting <laughs> is it along the same lines as like the pride and prejudice and zombies or abraham lincoln vampire uh, hunter like no because it takes place in modern times oh. like it's not rosencrantz and gillenstern it's actors playing them oh but it's it's more so, but it's like modern actors playing them yeah huh it's interesting i, I is... remember thinking it was okay and i remember thinking there was one or two scenes that i thought were really funny because it is a comedy 
Um, but it is interesting. Like, there's, like, at one point, a homeless lady comes up to them and she's like, listen to me, if you're ever in a production of Hamlet that gets taken over by vampires, this is how you gotta defeat them. And they're like, oh, okay. And they, like, of course, don't listen to her. Naturally. Um, but then they do join a production of Hamlet that gets taken over by vampires. So, huh. uh, anyway. Wild. Un- unimportant. Um, are you ready to guess your British word? Sure. Okay. Yeah, if that's where we're going. All right. Your British word is beeb. B-E-E-B. Beeb? Beeb. Okay. Okay, so beeb. Um, it, it's like, I don't know the exact term for it, but it's whenever like, it's an old English word that just kind of sticks around. Like, it's not exactly modern, but it's not exactly old English anymore. And so it's it's something like you would hear like people in, in the mainly like farmers, people who live not in the city out in rural areas. Yeah. It's what you call like a small animal. Like you wouldn't call a human <laughs> baby a beeb, but like the, a little sheep beeb out there, like a little cow beeb. You know, so it's it's a beeb, but it has to be an animal because a human's a baby. Oh, it's a baby. Okay. But a little, oh, your dog had beebs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so beeb. Beeb is an old English word for animal baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's actually really cute. Yeah. It's a beeb. Um, wow, that was a really good guess, Sheldon. I really like it. True. It's very cute. Um, you are incorrect. Uh-huh. Beeb is also said the beeb and it is short for the bbc oh okay the beeb the, the beeb. beeb i like it gotcha I like it a lot. yeah apparently queen had like an album or a song or something where they mentioned at the beeb they were oh, at the bbc at the bbc um so yeah that is an interesting one yeah it was fascinating <laughs> um well yeah this was great why would you uh why would you recommend people check this movie out i think if you like Shakespeare, this is a, an interesting watch. Especially if you like Hamlet, this is an interesting watch. Yeah, I would say only watch it if you like Hamlet. If you don't like Hamlet, you won't like this movie. Mm. I mean, yeah. oh, unless you just want to watch a play about existential ideals, about like life, death, the madness of this world, <laughs> luck, fate... If you like talks of that that don't end up leading anywhere, yeah, it's a really good heady discussiony movie. But I think if you like Hamlet, it'll go down a lot smoother. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think if you enjoy Hamlet, if you like Shakespeare, it is a really cool companion piece. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's something we don't think of a lot, and just a lot of the ideas here, the ways that you're irreverent with a very famous text, and seeing people like change up what you think like a play was or what it's about um it's interesting it's really unique well that is all for us hope you enjoyed this we will catch you next time and remember keep calm and don't believe in england it doesn't exist it's just a conspiracy of cartographers